This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a historic expulsion of two state lawmakers in Tennessee as the aftershocks of the Covenant school shooting continue. A news report says Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been accepting undisclosed luxury trips. Senate Democrats call for a probe, but what are the rules? House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan issues a new subpoena for a former Manhattan prosecutor who pushed to indict Trump. We'll tell you what the GOP is looking for as they probe this unprecedented legal case. A colorblind society based on merit. A conservative activist is fighting race-based admissions policies and warns about a dangerous message in critical race theory. And Shen Yun Performing Arts kicked off its first performance at New York's Lincoln Center last night. A Broadway actress and an Oscar-winning producer share their thoughts on the show. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Happy Friday, everyone. Today is April 7th, and some drama unfolded yesterday in Tennessee. The fate of three state House members hung in the balance. A gun control protest resulted in explosion for two Democratic lawmakers. The Tennessee House voted on the move a week after protesters flooded the state capitol. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. The three Democrat representatives up for expulsion arrived in the chamber arm in arm. A large contingent of police officers were on hand as protesters filled up the building and sang defiantly. A Republican supermajority later voted to remove representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. Jones spoke with supporters as a large crowd sang in protest, while Pearson insisted the lawmakers wouldn't be silenced. Resolutions to expel the members were introduced on April 3rd. This after the lawmakers led protesters with a bullhorn in chants, calling for gun control while on the House floor. As demonstrators flooded the state capitol building, leading to some tense moments. The protests followed the deadly Covenant School shooting in Nashville the week before, which left six people dead, including three nine-year-old children. Republican representatives, including Gino Bolso, quickly introduced a motion to remove the three lawmakers. Representative, will you agree that your conduct on March 30th was wrongful? Representative Gloria Johnson was spared expulsion for her part in the House floor protests by one vote. Seven Republicans crossed party lines to vote against her removal. Johnson believes her race played a role. I think it's pretty clear I'm a six-year-old white woman, and they are two young black men. Some say she may have been pardoned because she did not use a megaphone to lead chants like her peers. Representative Jones says the day was a historic one for Tennessee. But it is, it may mark a very dark day for Tennessee because it will signal to the nation that there is no democracy in this state. While Representative Justin Pearson remained defiant, be out of order to lift those who've been pushed to the bottom to the top of the conversation in the state house then that's what we'll do and vowed to continue the fight we will never quit we will never quit we will never quit 
Since the Cold War era, only two other Tennessee state representatives have been expelled, one in 1980 for corruption and another in 2016 over sexual misconduct allegations. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. In other news, a new subpoena related to former President Trump's indictment is served. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan yesterday formally asked for an appearance from a former Manhattan prosecutor. That prosecutor pushed for an indictment against Trump and even wrote a book titled People vs. Donald Trump. And today's Melina Wisecup has the story. Mark Pomerantz is the former New York County Special Assistant District Attorney. He served under District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who's now leading Trump's indictment proceedings. Bragg told Pomerantz not to cooperate with previous requests from House Republicans. But in his subpoena, Congressman Jordan points out that Pomerantz has already discussed many topics the committee is interested in looking at via public interviews and in his book. When Pomerantz served under Bragg, he led an investigation into Trump's finances, but he resigned in February of 2022 due to Bragg's initial unwillingness to pursue a criminal case. Jordan accuses Pomerantz of putting political pressure on Bragg to bring charges against Trump. In his subpoena, Jordan writes that Congress's role is to use oversight to prevent political prosecutions because he says if state or local prosecutors are able to engage in politically motivated prosecutions of presidents, it could have profound impacts on how presidents exercise their powers. Jordan gives this example. The president could choose to avoid taking action he believes to be in the national interest because it would negatively impact New York City, for example, for fear that he would be subject to a retaliatory prosecution in New York City. The subpoena directs Pomerantz to appear before the committee on April 20th. Senate Democrats are calling for an investigation into Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. A news outlet says Thomas has failed to disclose luxury trips that he took. Here's the story. Investigative journalism group ProPublica published a story Thursday cataloging various trips that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has accepted from Republican megadonor and businessman Harlan Crow. The report says for more than two decades, Thomas has been going on luxury trips aboard Crow's yacht and private jet and vacationed at Crow's private resorts. ProPublica alleges that the justice failed to report the trips on financial disclosure forms. Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin, a Democrat, said his panel will act based on the report. Durbin said the justices must be held to an enforceable code of conduct like other federal judges. Supreme Court justices, like other federal judges, are required to file an annual financial disclosure report and list gifts they have received. But food, lodging, or entertainment received as personal hospitality of any individual doesn't need to be reported if they take place at the private residence of that individual. That's according to a judiciary policy guide consulted by the Associated Press. In a statement, Crow told ProPublica that he and his wife have been friends with Thomas since 1996, five years after Thomas joined the High Court. The businessman said in his words, Hospitality we have extended to the Thomases over the years is no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends, and that the couple never asked for any of this hospitality. Crow said they have never asked about a pending or lower court case, and Justice Thomas has never discussed one, and we have never sought to influence Justice Thomas on any legal or political issue. The ProPublica report says Crow has invited other guests to his private resorts, including executives at Verizon, major Republican donors, and a leader of the American Enterprise Institute. A conservative activist and author wants to make people colorblind. Kenny Hsu is crusading against race-based admissions policies and warns about choosing future doctors based on skin color, not excellence.
NTD's Daniel Monahan has the report. Author Kenny Hsu is the son of Chinese immigrants. They sacrificed a lot to give him the American dream and a life in a free country, and they taught him not to waste that freedom. You know, yeah, you're free to be lazy in this country. You can even get some money to be lazy. But that's not the way to have a successful life. That's not the way to impact your community. That's not the way to be a blessing to others. So my parents taught me those values to really respect hard work. Um, and so that's why I have such a low tolerance for victimhood. Kenny is calling out universities for using race-based admissions policies like diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI. They say, for example, well, there are not enough black doctors, which there aren't. There, aren't, there are very few black doctors in our country, but their solution is to forcibly increase the number of black people getting admitted into medical school, even with lower standards and qualifications. So that amounts, of course, to a system of enforced mediocrity where a person will get promoted for being the right victim class. Kenny is also advocating for an end to critical race theory being taught in the school system. It basically asserts that America is a systematically racist country towards black people. And this theory is now being taught in our education schools and directly to children in America today, demeaning them, making them feel like victims, making them feel like societies against them. He says this is the worst thing to teach young children. The idea of teaching that society is racist towards them only serves to hurt their mental health and increase their depression and anxiety about the world. Kenny is fighting against DEI policies through his organization, Color Us United. Most Americans get along. Most Americans do not want DEI or wokeness. They don't want to be told that they are racists. They don't want to be told that they need to have more black friends, they need to have more Asian friends, they're fine and they're comfortable in their community. Kenny says DEI is racism because it asks people to look at race. You notice you go to any diversity training, they never talk about why you should be colorblind. Being colorblind is the American ideal. He criticized discrimination against Asian Americans at Harvard in his book, An Inconvenient Minority. Asians have to score for 440 points higher on the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black student. Kenny says the real solution to racial gaps is not DEI or race-based admissions, but good old-fashioned hard work. Asian Americans show that with hard work and study, you can succeed in America. In fact, Asian Americans study twice as many hours as the average American. It's not about their race, it's their study habits. Kenny fears America is returning to segregation based on racial resentment. He is calling on people to wake up and see DEI and CRT for what he says they really are. Kenny's new book, School of Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them is due out in August. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Moving on, on now to something that can lift your soul, which is what audiences around the world are saying about Shen Yun. The performing arts group kicked off its stay at New York's Lincoln Center last night with a sold-out show. Let's hear what the audience had to say. I loved it. I thought it was charming and everyone was so beautifully graceful. I grew up being a ballet dancer first before I became a Broadway actress, so it all spoke to me. Miss Lynn Charney is a veteran actress who has been active on Broadway for more than 70 years. As a performer herself, she praises Shen Yun's artistic expression. I enjoyed it. It was visually wonderful. 
They are all so beautiful and graceful, and the setting is wonderful. The scenery, the costumes, all of those production is a visual splendor. Extraordinarily talented artists, some brilliant, brilliant stage work. It's, it's quite magical. Tony Mark is an Oscar-winning film producer. He shares his appreciation of the performance. I love Chenyun, and I'm so happy that this culture exists here and that, that someone was able to take Chinese culture outside of politics, but to actually take the old Chinese culture that dates back and put it in front of an American audience because it's, it's so rich and it's so beautiful. I think it means a lot to the performers to be able to express themselves this way. And it means a lot for the audience to be able to experience something like this. And all of these performers, the musician, every, they just embodied that divine concept. I feel like I'm in paradise. It's like it takes you someplace else. It is more like a spiritual dance than anything else. It's like they're flowing and it's like they're always looking up, you know, it's like they're always looking up, you know, like to paradise or something even more powerful than themselves, right? So it's, it's exhilarating. Shen Yun will be performing at Lincoln Center, New York until April 16th. Well done, artistic director, well done, musical director, well done, performers. And thank you very much for bringing Shenyan to New York. Congratulations and thank you for giving us such a beautiful performance. NTD News, New York. And Shen Yun is giving 13 performances at New York's Lincoln Center. Three of the 13 were added recently due to popular demand. Most of them are already sold out. Organizers are adding additional seats on short notice. Hmm, so if you would like to catch that in New York City, you can find the tickets on ShenYun.com. You know, a million people see it every season. Oh, so that tells you a lot. Yeah. We got a new topic coming up. Israel hits terrorist installations in Lebanon and the Gaza Strip after being targeted with a barrage of rockets. Find out what provoked the attacks during a delicate time. The search continues for 10 missing crew members of a military helicopter in Japan. We have more on what's known so far about the crash in a minute. Welcome back. Israel hit terrorist targets with airstrikes in Lebanon and the Gaza Strip earlier today. The Israeli military says the strikes in Gaza targeted terrorist arms manufacturing sites. It says the strikes in southern Lebanon targeted terrorist installations. That was in retaliation to a terrorist attack yesterday. Over 30 rockets were launched from Lebanon towards northern Israel. Israeli police raided a mosque in Jerusalem's old city twice on Wednesday. That was followed by more than 40 rockets that were launched at Israel from Gaza overnight. Most were intercepted by Israel's aerial defense system. The fighting comes during the Jewish Passover holiday as Muslims mark the month of Ramadan. A similar scenario escalated into a full-blown 11-day war in 2021. Japan says rescue efforts are underway to find any survivors of a crashed military, hel military helicopter, I should say. A Black Hawk carrying 10 crew members went missing yesterday. Officials say it most likely crashed while on a reconnaissance mission in Japan's southern islands. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the incident. 
Japan's defense minister says none of the missing crew members have been found as of Friday. He says the search for the missing crew will continue, along with information gathering about the crash. We will do our utmost to search for the lives of the 10 people. Officials say the Black Hawk disappeared from radar only 10 minutes after leaving from base. They believe it crashed into the water about a thousand miles southwest of Tokyo. It was patrolling the waters around Miyako-jima. At least three Chinese regime warships have sailed past the island in the past four days. Japanese officials did not say if the aircraft was involved in tracking any Chinese military activity. The army says the Black Hawk helicopter had a routine safety inspection late last month. No problems were found during its subsequent test flight or on its trip to where it was stationed. Army officials found a door they believe belonged to the aircraft near the presumed crash site, along with other fragments of debris. Coast Guard patrol ships found an unused lifeboat whose serial number matched that of the missing helicopter. Japan is aggressively building up its defense capability in its southwestern islands. That's in response to China's increasingly assertive military activity in the region, including near Taiwan. Two U.S. Army Black Hawk helicopters crashed in Kentucky during a training mission last week. All nine service members on board were killed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Two people are dead and over a million left without power after an ice storm hit Canada's two most populated regions. The storm brought freezing rain and strong winds, toppling trees and power lines. NTD's Kostemines has more on the story. Wednesday's storm hit Canada's provinces of Quebec and Ontario the worst. One man died when a tree fell on him. Another was killed by a falling branch. Power outages combined for both provinces affected over a million residents on Thursday. The storm caused damage to homes and vehicles. The two provinces account for more than half of Canada's total population of nearly 40 million. Speaking in Montreal on Thursday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promised to offer support. It's important for people to stay safe. Uh, and it's important that people do what we always do in times of difficulty. Neighbours will be there for neighbours. People will help out and support. Montreal is among the worst hit areas in Quebec, accounting for about half of the total power outages. I'm glad to be with the Prime Minister of Canada today and my colleagues at the city uh, and the firefighter uh, director as well. And my message is that the first, uh, all the everybody at the city has been, and Hydro-Quebec have been working really hard since this morning to clear the streets, the main uh, streets first, then it will be the, the local streets, and then we will go in the park. The local utility companies said they're hoping to restore power to two-thirds of houses by midnight on Friday. But the long Easter weekend and complicated access to some areas may cause further delays, meaning some Canadians will be spending Easter in the dark. Cost MNS, NTD News. After the break, an Omaha high school senior wrote a children's book to make sure kids get to know their strength they carry from a young age. The story she shares is a special one. We spoke with her. Good to have you back. An Omaha teen wrote a children's book to make sure kids know the strength they have and that they can channel it if they only want to. But the story she shares in that book isn't just any story, it's her story. I spoke to Maggie Wojcinski to find out more. Can you start by telling me about what you went through as a kid and you know what, what did you suffer from exactly and how did that impact you physically and mentally? 
When I was three years old, I actually had a benign tumor on my hip. I was unable to walk normally, so my parents took me to the doctor, and they said I needed to have it surgically removed. So from there, we set a surgery date, and I had to learn how to walk again afterwards. I was in a wheelchair, or I used a wheelchair for three months, and that was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do, learning how to walk again just after learning how to walk the first time. I didn't know how I was going to get around school. I didn't know how that would affect me being with my friends. But in the end, I had so much help from so many of my friends and family that I was able to really be a normal kid still. And I think that was the most important thing, just being able to live normally or as normal as possible. Mm, it's amazing sometimes how important a support system can be, huh? Exactly. Um, now, how can you recall, you know, what was your recovery process like from going, mm -hmm. just being in a wheelchair to being able to walk and run again? Yeah, I had a lot of physical therapy, just learning how to walk with a walker, holding on to something. And that first transition from using a wheelchair to then using a walker, I remember being very difficult because... I had been in a cast for three months that had started at my hip and ended at my toes. So there was no movement whatsoever in my leg. And I knew that it was going to be very, very hard. But wow. in the end, I was able to take baby steps, literally. And now I'm back and walking, so. And you wrote a whole book about it, right? Your story. So tell me more about that book. Um, and why did you want to put the story into a children's book? So right now, I'm competing for the Miss Nebraska Teen Competition, which is part of the Miss America organization. And as my community service initiative, I decided to call it Grit is Our Superpower. It really started as a suicide prevention and awareness platform, but I wanted to be able to talk to younger people. And if I want to go into an elementary school classroom, I can't exactly talk about suicide and statistics because that's just not really the right place for that. So it really changed into the more of grit and resilience theme of things. And now I'm able to go into classrooms and read something that's totally unique to me, which I think is super important because I can definitely go and read somebody else's book. But when I'm able to read my own, it's a lot more meaningful to me. And just to be able to talk to younger kids is so much fun, and they're so cute. <laughs> Something really uplifting, that's great. And now, you know, what are you trying to tell the kids that read this book? What is the message to them? What do you hope they learn from it? I just want not even just younger kids, but anybody that reads the book to know that they can get through anything, whether that's physical or emotional. We can work together and we all have grit inside of us, and no matter what, that will always be there, and we can always get through whatever we're faced with. Mm. Wise words. Well, thank you, Maggie <laughs> Wojcinski, and good luck with your competition and everything you're um, planning to achieve. I really appreciate that you t took the time today. Thank you so much. 
She said now she keeps telling herself that if she can learn how to walk again, she can really go through anything. Yeah, and the fact that she was able to overcome that just shows so much hope. It does, yeah. So from hope to miracles, as Easter approaches, our team went out and asked people about miracles they may have experienced. Uh, I am very healthy every day when I wake up. I was in a motorcycle accident. I was pronounced dead on the scene. I had an uh, emergency open laparotomy. I have a huge scar to prove it. And uh, they told me I was only here by divine intervention. Finally, my beautiful wife is a miracle. It's a godsend miracle. Yes. That we have another day living. It's a miracle, right? Because there's so many things going on, in this, on this earth, but today is a great day. It's a miracle. I've experienced a miracle when my grandma was diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't really looking too good, but the cancer actually ended up going away. So that was a big deal for us and our family. That I remember, that I know of clearly, my stepmother coming in my life. She's always been a miracle to me. I've seen people who have um, walked out of wheelchairs before. I've prayed for people whose foot has grown out. I've seen people who are not able to walk, get up and start walking again. Um, I believe in God and I believe he heals and I've seen many miracles. Oh, wow, it's great. They have so many things to be thankful for. It's the little things in life, right? It's yes. inspiring. I think this has to be one of my favorite segments now. Keep it coming, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.